bless everyone this morning. Can you hear me? Awesome. We give honor to the God of the Bible, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. Where would I be without Jesus Christ? What about you? Also want to give honor to your phenomenal pastor. He's a giant in the faith, Pastor Rob McCoy. Let's celebrate him and give honor to him as well. And everyone has been so kind and gracious uh, to me here. I've been working with Kelly Crawford, and she's phenomenal. Give her a big hand as well. So thank you all for your generosity and for your support this morning. If you ever went to um, vacation Bible school, there's a song that we will oftentimes sing. And I'm going to sing it this morning. I want you to join along with me as I sing it. Jesus loves the little children. Oh, children of the world. You guys know it. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. One more time, let's sing that together. Jesus, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Come on and clap your hands. Jesus loves the little children, but so does Satan. He loves the little children. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, there were people who would take their children and send them down trenches and sacrifice their children to a God called Molech with the intent of garnering favor from a statue. And today in this culture, Satan still loves the baby in the womb. I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 6 this morning if you have your Bibles, whether you have it on your phone or you have something that you can touch and handle. Um, I like paper. I don't know about you, but I'm just fascinated with turning the pages, you know. Um, I'm a millennial, but I'm very traditional when it comes to that. Amen. Um, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, and we'll read down to the 19th verse. It reads, these six things, and I'm reading from the King James Version. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Number one, a proud look, a lying tongue. My goodness, we need to talk about that today because there are a lot of lies that are being told. Uh, one of your congressmen from this state, District 15, uh, Representative Eric Swalwell, just came out recently and said the Republicans won't stop with banning abortion. They want to ban interracial marriage as well. <laughs> Do you want to save that? He quotes. And see, that's a, that's a lie. That's, that's a lying tongue, and, and the Bible speaks about that. His intent is to race bait. Oftentimes in order to push a political view, oftentimes it's even against the Bible, people will race bait and use blacks as puppets as a means of pushing their agenda. All right? Number three, it says, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speak of lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. These are seven things that the Lord calls abominable. This morning I would like to preach a message from the sea clause of this text. It says, hands that shed innocent 
blood, innocent blood, hands that shed innocent blood. I would like to preach a message entitled, Murder She Wrote. Murder She Wrote. For the next few moments, I would like to talk to you about Murder She Wrote, and we will focus on the overlooked true racism of abortion by those who claim to be woke. We will also talk about planned, planted in the hood parenthood. We will talk about Margaret Sanger and the church. Murder, She Wrote was an American crime drama television series starring Angela Lansbury, who played Jessica Fletcher as mystery writer and amateur detective. The series aired for 12 seasons with 264 episodes from 1984 to 1996 on the CBS network. It was followed by four TV films. Among the most successful and longest-running television shows in history, it averaged more than 30 million viewers per week in its prime. The show mostly starts with a preview of the episode's events, with Jessica stating, tonight on Murder, she wrote. Jessica invariably proves more perceptive than the official investigators of a case were most always willing to arrest the most likely suspect. By carefully piecing the clues together and asking astute questions, she fools the authorities into arresting her chosen suspect as real murderer. As the real murderer. Murder occurred with such regularity in her vicinity that the term Cavett Cove Syndrome was coined to describe the constant appearance of dead bodies in remote locations. Indeed, if Cabot Cove existed in real life, it would top the FBI's national crime statistics in numerous categories, with some analysis suggesting that the homicide rate in Cabot Cove exceeds even that of the real-life murder capital of the world. Whereas Murder, She Wrote was a fictional drama depicting heinous crimes, today we have a real-life murder she wrote, and this murder she wrote saga was etched out by the hands and ingenuity of Margaret Sanger. It was once said that a sermon without a point is a pointless sermon. And so if there's any point that I will want you to take away from this message this morning, that is that God judges us individually, but he judges nations collectively. Let me say that again. God judges us individually. You know, you can't get saved on the family plan. You, 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 you can't treat salvation like Verizon Wireless. You know, everyone has to have their own phone, you know, with Verizon Wireless. But hey, when it comes to God, everyone is going to stand before him individually. God judges us individually but then he judges us collectively as a nation. In the Pledge of Allegiance, we say that we are what? One nation under who? Under God endorses a particular religious belief, which is the Judeo-Christian practice. But today, instead of being a nation under God, we have become a nation of little gods. We have become gods in and of ourselves because we are now telling God that the way that he created and formed things is wrong. But I want you to know today that the created cannot instruct the creator. All right? There is only one creator. The Bible says that the fool have said in his heart that there is no God. So it has become common today for man, whether it's from the White House or for any political venue, whether it's in your local home, whether it's in our school systems, we see man trying to play God. Proverbs 14 and 34 tells us that righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach against any people. 
Psalm 107 and 34 says, A fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. If we want to improve the economy in our nation, the best way to do that is not through simply lowering taxes, even though we love that. You know, but the answer is oftentimes turning towards God and being obedient to him. Obedience to God is the best economic development plan that has ever existed in this world. Second Samuel chapter 21 and 1 gives us a story. It reads, then there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. Now, when this passage of scripture was written, at this time, Saul had been dead for nearly 30 years, and David is on the throne. But because of Saul killing the Gibeonites, God visits that transgression during the leadership and the tenure and the reign of David. Why? Because the blood of the Gibeonites cried out to God from the ground. And God sent a famine upon the land as a result of this killing and the bloodshed that was shed upon the Gibeonites. And today, America is battling a spiritual famine due to the bloodshed of the over 64 million babies who have been lynched in the womb. We're in a famine. The reason why common sense has become uncommon in government is because we're in a famine. The steady increase of smashing grabs in this state is the result of being in a famine. God is judging us for the shedding of innocent blood. The indoctrination of our children in our schools is a result of being in a famine. Who would have ever thought that our children would be taught to call people by pronouns or what they self-identify as, as a means of being fair and tolerant? What does that have to do with reading, writing, and arithmetic? In Wisconsin, three middle school boys in the eighth grade are under investigation for sexual harassment for not calling a student by the proper pronoun. So today, sexual harassment is no longer rape or incest or inappropriate touching. Today, sexual harassment is not calling a person they or them. We are in a famine. And let's not talk about critical race theory. We're now teaching kids in our schools that whites are inherently racist. Regardless of the color of your skin, if you are white, you are inherently racist and there is no forgiveness for your sin. Now, what we're doing, we're doing the Jim Crow in reverse tactic. Where blacks are now attempting to do to whites what was once done to them. And it was wrong back then, amen. And it's wrong today. As Christians, we're taught to overcome evil with good. We're also in a famine because those who stand behind the sacred desk to preach, our pastors, are increasingly becoming wimpy and afraid to preach the whole counsel of God. But you know, today I put on my big boy shoes and my big boy pants 
I'm 6'4", 260 pounds, play football at North Carolina State University Division I, the only football team that matters. And I was preaching righteousness at the age of 19 on our campus, and I'm going to preach it today. There are 10 things that pastors are afraid to say, and I'm going to tell you what they are today. Number one, when you die and you stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, you're either going to heaven or hell. A big hand clap goes there. You see, the church has become afraid of preaching about our eternal destination. And that's because we're too focused on what's going on down here. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We are strangers. We are aliens. And our citizenship is not of Thousand Oaks. (laughs) Our citizenship is of heaven. Also, number two, critical race theory has no place in the church. Let me say that again for the people in the back. Critical race theory has no place in the church because racism is not a skin color, it's a sin. CRT attempts to make Blacks proverbial victims, which in turn makes them proverbial losers. You know, we need to get these woke theology terms out of the church. We need to get these woke theology terms out of the church. We need to get these woke theology terms out of the church and turn back to biblical authority. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. That is the end of social justice and reconciliation that the church should be focused upon. We should not allow race baiters and race Hustlers to creep into the church and now tell us how we should view our brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't you know that there's no more Jew nor Greek, male or female, but we are all one through Christ Jesus. Number three, there are only two genders. Only two. Everybody hold up two. There it is right there. There's only two genders. Now, I did some research last night, and they said that there's nearly 72 (laughs) genders. Now, I don't know about that. Uh, That is not the truth. That is having a lying tongue. But there are only two genders. Genesis 5 and 2 says that God created them male and female. One, two. Not three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all the way up to 72. There are only two genders. And here's another thing. Men can't get pregnant. Men can't get pregnant. You know, we're confusing a beer gut (laughs) with a person conceiving a baby. Trust me, my wife who's here this morning, I would you just wave your hand, baby. Uh, She, I, I witnessed her give birth to all three of our children. And let me tell you something. Uh, a man does not want to do. A real man. Can I get all my real men to stand up just this morning? One second. Real men. 
<laughs> I mean, listen, you may be seated. Real men don't want to switch their role over to become and do what women do. We honor them for what God has given them to do. We support them as protectors, as the patriarchs of our home. We provide for our family, but we honor them because God has gifted them with something that we really don't want to enter into. (laughs) Can I get an amen right there? Number four, cowardice is not a fruit of the Spirit. And it especially looks bad on a pastor. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, according to 2 Timothy 1 and 7. We've made it popular today to be fearful in the name of, being, of not being judgmental or offending anyone. It's not the role of the preacher to be concerned with the feelings of the sheep. It's the role of the preacher to preach God's word. And when the gospel has been preached, you should feel based upon how you are living. I can't mitigate your feelings based upon what I say if I'm preaching God's truth. See, the gospel in and of itself is an offense. You don't convert your heart or change or you're not brought to repentance or you don't get on your knees until you are confronted with how sinful you are. It's not until you come face to face with the reality of your own wickedness and evil that one can be delivered by almighty God. That is the situation of Paul, Saul, on the road of Damascus. He comes in contact with the great light and he sees himself. Number five. It's asinine to say that calling abortion murder is a white evangelical worldview. It's not a white evangelical worldview. It's a biblical worldview. The Bible says that thou shalt not murder. No one in here wrote that. God said that. Number six, God will not only judge us based upon what we have done in our bodies, but he will also judge us based upon how we vote. You know, we vote one way and then we pray another. God is looking at everything that we do in our Parties. Number seven, although same-sex marriage is legal, in the eyes of God, it's still not right. You can make it legal, but you can't make it right. Number eight, ten mothers will never equate to one father. And ten fathers will never equate to one mother. Our children deserve two parents, male and female. Number nine, the public school system hates the God of the Bible. And if this is the case, how can they properly love, teach, and train our precious arrows? Finally, number 10, You can't be pro-abortion and profess the name of Christ at the same time. You can't do it. You can't do it. 2 Timothy 2 and 19 says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. I can't claim to know Christ, to serve Christ, to follow after Christ, to deny myself 
and take up my cross and seek after Christ. And at the same time, I am foreshadowing innocent blood. You know, the church has become neurotic. We think that we can hold on to the world and get Christ at the same time. No, it's either you got to let go of the world and get Christ or you're not going to get Christ at all because you cannot serve two masters. We're trying to make it to heaven while serving the God of our bellies, our pleasures, our passions, our desires, our proclivities, what we want. Me, 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 my desires, my longings, my cravings, my ideologies. The Bible is wrong. The Bible is not true. It's inaccurate. It's fallible. It's God is wrong. God is archaic. God is outdated. We find creative ways to explain ourselves out of being sinful in our judgment. The Bible says that God be true in every man a liar. God's word is right even when we're wrong. When Saul killed the Gibeonites, God sent a famine for three years. And as a result of the 2,363 babies being killed, every day God has allowed a pandemic and tyrants to rule us for the past three years. God is speaking, God speak, but will we listen? Before they can make God's not dead, part five. Let me go ahead and tell you that God is not dead. He's still on the throne and our God is alive. I'm reminded of when Elizabeth came in contact with Mary. Elizabeth was carrying John the Baptist. Mary was carrying Jesus. And when they came in contact with one another, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist began to leap because he came in contact with Jesus. In the womb, there is a life that is there that takes place at conception. And when John the Baptist leaped in the womb of Elizabeth, Elizabeth began to speak in tongues and give glory to God. I know about you today, but I want to say this. Are there any believers who believe that they should be leaping for life? We should leap towards our local abortion clinics. We should leap to social media and make a stand for truth and righteousness. We should leap out in our school systems and make our voices heard because we cannot allow the enemy to speak louder than the church. Isaiah 5 and 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Today, we would much rather preach against the preacher who preaches truth than support the preacher that preaches truth. That's why your pastor is honorable because in the face of people wanting to bludgeon him and to destroy his wonderful work of ministry, Pastor Rob McCoy has stood strong and faithful. There's a story about a famous astronomer by the name of Sir Percival Lowell. At the turn of the century, the world's most distinguished astronomer was certain there were canals on Mars. Sir Percival Lowell, esteemed for his study of the solar system, had a particular fascination with the red planet. 
1877, Lowell heard that an Italian astronomer had seen straight lines crisscrossing the Martian surface. Lowell spent the rest of his years squinting into the eyepiece of a giant telescope in Arizona, mapping the channels and canals he saw. He was convinced the canals were proof of intelligent life on Mars, possibly an older but wiser race than humanity, Lowell's observations gained wide acceptance. So imminent was he, none dared contradict him. Now, of course, things are different. Space probes have orbited Mars and landed on its surface. The entire planet has been mapped out, and no one has seen a canal. How could Lowell have seen so much that was not there? Two possibilities were found. Number one, he saw canals on Mars because he wanted to see canals on Mars. And oftentimes we want to see things a certain way because we want to see it our way. You can will a thing into existence just because you want it bad enough. Husbands can will themselves into feeling as if their families no longer love them. Not because that is true. It's because of their longing and affection for the passions of the world has now driven them in a place of a haughty spirit or arrogance. To the point that they will savage and ruin their entire home just because they want to see it their way. And our wives do the same thing. Sometimes we can, sometimes a spouse can see a thing a certain way simply because she wants to because of a feeling or a sentiment. Or maybe something she heard in a group chat or talked about with her friends. And now that becomes the barometer by which she judges her own home. And she goes from having the best experience and the best loving children and the best loving family she can possibly have to now feeling that she's not significant or important. And though it's not true, she believes it. Why? Because Satan sows thoughts of discord. He knows how to creep into the hearts and the minds of people and convince us to see things that are not there. In Genesis, we see Satan sliding upon the ground as a serpent. But by the time we get to Revelations, we see him as a dragon. But I'm so glad today to know that it was Jesus Christ who will slay the dragon. Number two, the reason why Sir Percival Lowell saw life on Mars is because that as he squinted through his telescope, he didn't see canals on Mars. He saw a a reflection of the blood vessels in his eye. And this is where we get Lowell's syndrome. And if there's any malady or sickness, or infirmity that is beating down upon the church. It's Lowell's syndrome. We see what we want to see, and we see it because it's a reflection of our own image. 2 Timothy 3 and 13 says, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. If you want to tell a lie and convince people to believe in what you're saying, tell a big one. Don't don't tell a small lie. Say something that, you know, from, from the beginning, from the onset, people will say, you know what, he's got to be crazy. I mean, he's lost his mind. He's off his rockers. No, tell a big lie. No, tell a big one. You know, yeah, men can get pregnant. Tell a big one. (laughs) But if you keep doing that long enough, there's a media term called jamming. If you keep a thing 
in front of people long enough, they will become desensitized by what you are telling them and what they see to the point that they will begin to even question their own imagination and knowledge based upon what they already know. The world is steadily chipping away at our ideologies. Chip away at the church. Put them in a corner. Put them on lockdown. Make them feel that they're non-essential. Shut them up at home. Don't let them go in the streets. Let's find ways to increase depression and anxiety. Let's take the church away from his source, from their source. Keep them away from here because we want to push the church away. You know, because at the end of the day, there's this thing in the Constitution called the separation of church and state. That's a lying tongue. It's not in there. It's not in there. The intent was to keep the church protected from the state, not the state from the church. Find ways to get Christians away from their God. And if we do that, it'll be just like the gazelle that's limping in the jungle. Sooner or later, we'll catch them isolated. And the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy will have its way with God's precious flock. Colossians 2 and 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. David Kupelin once said, one of the most creative uses of lying and a key tactic for, depending, for, for, for bending a population to your will is the creation of a crisis. There's a new illness out now. I think it's the mon monkeypox. I mean, what's next? <laughs> COVID-1, COVID-2, COVID-3, monkeypox, global warming, all of these various different things to keep us in fear, to make us become longing of our freedoms through being comfortable. The reality is the Christian will never be comfortable down here. If you find yourself at comfort down here, you are failing to serve God the right way. The human experience down here is a lazy boy with thorns in it. You can't get comfortable down here because this is not our home. Our country has become the epicenter for deception for a long time. In a letter to Clarence C.J. Gamble, Margaret Sanger wrote out a plan of deception, steeped in racism, of how she would eliminate the black population. Margaret Sanger said the minister's work is also important, and also he should be trained perhaps by the Federation as to our ideals and the goal that we hope to reach. We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And here's the clincher. She says, and the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. In other words, let's exterminate the black population. Let's exterminate Jews. Let's exterminate the feeble-minded. Let's exterminate those who have deformities. These are the words of Margaret Sanger. And then if black people resist it, Find a black preacher who's willing to sell his own community down a river. Jesse Jackson. Who in 19, you know, 80, for that, around that time period, he called abortion black genocide. He coined that term. But when it was time for him to run for office, he did an about face. Turned against his own as a means of garnering favor from man. 
Al Sharpton, same thing. NAACP, which is supposed to be set forth for the advancement of colored people. When the Supreme Court leak took place, they were on the side of those who wanted more abortion. Blacks make up only 13% of this population. Black men, 5%. Black women, 8%. Of those who are ovulating, that's about 3 to 4%. 3 to 4% of black women make up nearly 40% of the overall abortions. And the NAACP is on the side with those who want more abortion. I believe that all babies should be allowed to live. I want to save the black baby, the white baby, the Asian baby, the Pacific Islander, the Native American. The other, all of the above, I want to save all life. But being a black man, by golly, I, I really want to save my own. Poor frog that doesn't praise his own pond. And what do we see today? We see steadily mayors, Lightfoot. Chicago, who comes out and says that it's time to take up arms because they're trying to strike, strike down Roe v. Wade. Go figure. We find out why there's so many murders in Chicago. When you have a mayor who tells the community to take up arms, you're in a bad place. For years, Planned Parenthood defended Margaret Sanger, claiming that any suggestions she was racist were simply untrue, only to find out during the summer of 2020 that it was all true, and they removed Margaret Sanger's name from her, from her historical abortion clinic in New York City. Thank you, Jesus. And today, we even have a man who once pastored the same church that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. pastored. His name is Raphael Warnock, a black minister. He came out and said that as a pro-choice pastor, that's an oxymoron, I've always believed that a patient's room is way too small for a woman, her doctor, and the United States government. Now, I have three children. Every time my wife has given birth to our children, several people come in that room. But the Bible does tell us, I don't know if you read it or not, in Proverbs, Proverbs 15 and 3, that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Beholding the evil and the good. God doesn't have to be there. He sees everything. And oh, it's become popular to be a pro-choice pastor today. I would like to tell any person who ever hear this message, and those of you who know people who attend churches with pastors who are pro-choice, they have my permission to find another church. <laughs> any pastor that believes that going against God's word in the name of propping up man's word. Any pastor that believes that is right is a heretic. And we should point them out and resist them vehemently. In my close, I want to share this with you. We just appointed the first black woman to the Supreme Court, Katanji Brown Jackson. She was appointed simply because she was black and she was a woman. We thought. <laughs> when asked the question of what is a woman, she said, I don't know. I'm not 
a biologist. There are three Johns in my house. I'll explain. You have first John, that's me. You have second John, that's John Patrick. And you have third John, that's John Jr. Don't try that at home. But it's divinely inspired. First John, second John, third John. Third John is five years of age. One day he was at church and for some reason this, this guy prayed for him. He's still under construction. He starts drawing a picture of a woman. And in his picture, in his mural, not picture, mural, his imagination tells him that women have long hair, so the woman had long hair in his picture. In his imagination, women have kind eyes. They don't frown, you know. So he drew some beautiful eyes and long eyelashes on this woman. In his imagination, bear with me here, he's five. <laughs> He'll get there after a while. He's under construction, I told you that. He drew six circles on this woman's stomach. Those were abs. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so in the mind of my five-year-old son, all women have abs. <laughs> And then he commenced to draw something else, which was her chest, and he didn't spare any ink. <laughs> now, I bring that up to tell you this. Third John, John Jr., who's five, who's under construction, has never been to Harvard. Has never been yet, that's right. He hasn't passed law school or the bar or the bar. He hasn't even entered into kindergarten. He's five. He's never put on a black robe and had to rule on any case. He's never had to drop the gavel and make a judgment upon a person's life. But at the age of five, he knows what a woman looks like. What does that tell you? It tells you that there was a plan. There's a tactic. And I'll make it plain to you. There's some things that if certain people say, people call it racist. I'm going to say it all today. I'm going to tell the truth and shame the devil. The reason why they want Katanji Brown Jackson on the Supreme Court is because they want to neutralize another black man's voice who's on the Supreme Court. And the difference with her if she is, her, her, I don't know. If, if, if she doesn't know what a woman is, I, I don't know what she is. They want to neutralize her, vo uh, her voice with Clarence Thomas's voice. She's a Democrat. He's a Republican. Let's find a way as we have this Dobbs versus Jackson case that's coming up. Let's find a way to twist the minds of more minorities and to use them as puppets as we pass our agenda. Barack Obama did it against his own when he passed and helped pass same-sex marriage. And now they're using a black woman as a tool to push another agenda and to hold on to Roe v. Wade. But I want to tell you today that I'm going to fight. We're going to fight. Everyone in this room should fight with everything in us to be the light of the world and to point out in this dark culture and world that on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross emblem for suffering and shame. I want you to know this morning that there is hope. 
Even though we're living at our own murder, she wrote, and as we await the ruling of Dobbs versus Jackson, there is hope for the famine that we are in. There is hope. The question today is, how do we get rid of the bloodshed in our nation? How do we get rid of the famine? How do we bring back the favor of God so we can drop these gas prices? How do we do it? I'll tell you how. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14 that if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Forgive their sins and heal their land. Our hope is not in an elephant or a donkey. Our hope is in Jesus. I'm not waiting on the next politician to do what God can do. I'm trusting in the God who sits on a throne and rules in the affairs of men. Are you waiting on the coming of Jesus? If you're waiting on the coming of Jesus, make some stadium noise in this place and give God some glory. At this time, the praise and worship team is coming to lead us forth in worship. There is a revival that is coming to this nation. And I believe that it's going to start here in California. I believe that what we do here will be transformative for the world. God bless you.